0: first epistle, we find that John Mark is with him. Uh, so we, we know that they had this intimate uh, relationship. Mark was a leader in, in, the, early, in the early church. The, the question always comes up is, when was this written? Um, most scholars today, conservative evangelical scholars, would say that Mark was probably the first book uh, that was written between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, of course, John, Uh Probably written towards the end of the 50s. Now think about the time period here. Jesus probably died around 33 A.D. Okay, so if Jesus died 33 A.D., you have the, the, kind of the history of the early church, just kind of markings for your mind. If you're reading the book of Acts, Acts 15 probably takes place at 49 A.D., 49 and 50, the same time the book of Galatians would have been written. Uh, the book of Acts ends around 62 A.D., now persecution started to pick up towards the end of the book of Acts. So the apostles kind of thought their lives were were near their end. Now, if you remember reading in uh, in the Gospels, uh, and especially in, um, in in Peter's epistle, he knew that his time was short. Second Peter chapter um, chapter one says that he knew that his time was. Was about to be to be over, so Mark probably took Peter's words and said, "Okay, Peter spent all this time with Jesus. We have to record this before Peter is gone." Okay, Peter probably died in the mid 60s uh, AD, so he had a, he wanted to record all this. Um, so he probably wrote it during Peter and, and uh, Mark's time in Rome, which would be the late 50s. The reason why that's significant is because. Uh, how we make sense of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how they are different, how they are alike, you have to have a reason uh, of why they're different and why they're alike. Uh, there's different theories, different hypotheses, and I think if Mark wrote his Gospel first, it's just the easiest explanation for the differences, because Mark's the shortest Gospel. He has a lot of detail. Uh, he has some Aramaic that he writes in in, in his Gospel, while Matthew and Luke only have Greek, as the as probably grew, it probably was easier to use a more refined Greek. But Mark doesn't have a lot of details, right? Uh, he's he's kind of like the action gospel. Uh, even in the first fifteen verses that I read, you heard you read the word immediately twice. Immediately he went into the wilderness. Uh, immediately he. Um, uh, Whence came up out of the water? That word is just kind of this. This is, is all over uh, this, the scriptures, um, and what Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Luke, do kind of add to it, you know, uh, add to kind of fill out some of those some of those specific uh, information. Uh, he probably wrote it from Rome to the Gentiles in Rome. Now, why did he write this gospel? Okay, that's that's important. Well, I think for several reasons why he wrote this gospel. We're kind of walk it walk through it here in a second, uh, but I think he wanted to make a defense of the cross. He wanted to defend the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ among the Gentiles and really push and challenge the church to reach the Gentiles. Because uh, even in the early church, if you look at the book of Acts, the main problem in the early church is who can be saved. Can Gentiles be included in God's promise uh, of salvation? That problem was existed way back in, in, in the period of, of Israel, and it continued on in the church. And I think Mark partly wrote this, the defense of the cross, that the cross was for everyone. But also has, has a tremendous teaching on discipleship. This is probably written to a group of Christians who were struggling and, and, and dealing with all the pressures in Rome. And I think if you look at this, how the disciples failed again and again and again, which we'll look at, show what true discipleship looks like in the Christian church. It also wanted to show that Jesus Christ was both the authoritative Son of God and the Son of Man. Those are the two titles that I think that are pretty prominent in uh, Mark's Gospel. The Son of Man is probably the most one used to talk of Jesus outside of Jesus. So you have Jesus and then the Son of Man. But the Son of God is used very strategically uh, in Mark. And we're just going to kind of walk through this book, and I, I hope it would be encouraging to you. It's, it's interesting. Every time I st- – I, I, when I do discipleship, I always use the Gospel of Mark. If I'm discipling a new believer or someone who's new in the faith, I'll always read Mark. Some love John. Uh, John's purpose, as we'll look at here in a couple of weeks, is that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I think Mark is just really simple. And I don't know about you, but when I start a new task – I usually fail within the third day, right? I'm going to eat right, and then I have fried chicken for lunch, right? I mean, there's something happens that that you know on the on the second day. And uh, I think Mark is very quick. It's you can only you, if you sat down when you went home and you read Mark from beginning to end, you'd finish it within an hour. It's not a very impact, not a very long book, but it's got tremendous uh, nuggets uh, in here. So. Uh, Beginning of Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So even like we saw in Matthew's gospel, when it talked about Jesus as the son of Abraham and the son of David, he's trying to make a point right there at the beginning of his book that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, when we read throughout this book, you'll see that Jesus continues to show himself to be the authoritative son of God who has authority over demons, authority over sickness, authority over um, uh, even nature, the winds and, and the waves. And yet the ones who should have known that, the, the Israelites, miss it. The teachers of the law miss it. The Pharisees miss it. And often the disciples who are walking with Jesus miss it. And the ones who don't miss it, are the Gentiles. Time and time again, you see the Gentiles understanding who Jesus Christ is. Let's walk through this very briefly, and then we'll kind of, kind of go back and forth. Uh, jump to uh, Mark chapter 6. I'm in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, and, and from there he arose, Jesus, and went to, away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a, a Gentile community. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, again, that word, a, a woman whose little daughter and an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, highlighting that, a Syro-Phoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, little children, be fed first, for it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to dogs. He's saying, I've come to the Jews first. The Jews would hear and believe. And I can't come and give you the good news first. And she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in her bed and the demon gone. So this this, this, Jew, or this Gentile woman, see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Go all the way to the end of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter uh, 15. This kind of climactic uh, ending of, of the Lord Jesus, beginning in verse 33 of chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthia, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, but put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So what you see here is you see a bookend. Oftentimes, this happens often, it's, kind of a, it's called a chiastic structure where they have something at the beginning and they have something at the end to show you the main meaning of the, what the book is about. And the main meaning of the book of the Gospel of Mark is to show you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the beginning of the Gospel Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then at the end, we have this great announcement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But by who? By a Gentile. The Gentiles are included in God's kingdom. Jump back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. What you see in a, throughout Mark's Gospel, especially the first half of Mark's Gospel, is, is Jesus' ministry to Galilee. And you see how Jesus has authority. So go to chapter 1, verse 21. Verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, and he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was there in a synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So his teaching had authority, and then what do we see the very next thing? He cried out, and what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once this fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The reason why you see Jesus having authority, because In many ways, the Jews were looking at Jesus having a new kind of teaching. And the new kind of teaching only makes sense in their mind. Now, we know it's not new because it was fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. But it only makes sense if Jesus also has the power to back it up. He has to have authority. If I went to the the ocean, right, and I looked at at that, that, that beautiful Atlantic Ocean, I said, stop, and nothing happened. You would think I was crazy, right, because I can't stop um, the, the ocean. But I can make lights turn green. Isn't that a great trick you play on your kids? You know, you're driving down the road, you know the light's about to change, and you go, green light. And it turns green, and your kids are like, that is the coolest thing ever, Dad. Well, we know that's not really true. It's a fake, it's a fake authority, but Jesus had real authority. He showed himself uh, to have power. So you see Jesus healing everywhere, authority and power. And then you see this kind of obscure next line, end of verse 34. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Even above it says, they said, you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus wants everyone to know he's the Son of God, right? But he says, be silent. And here again, he says, be silent. And then we see in verse 35, Jesus going to, to preach in Galilee And rising early in the morning, it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, those who were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus had this ministry of teaching and preaching. Uh, the, the reason why teaching and preaching is always important in the local church is because Jesus modeled that we should go teaching and preaching, right, with authority. The authority does not come from us, but it comes through the Holy Spirit in which we, we speak, the word of, of God. So you see through, throughout this, this idea, you, you see Jesus having, having authority. And then in chapter 2, it, it changes very slightly. You've probably heard this story, the story of the paralytic. Uh, but we see Jesus changing the title of calling himself the Son of God to calling himself the Son of Man. That's very significant. So look at chapter 2. There's this, uh, this paralytic, paral- Jesus is, is healing people. Uh, and then uh, this group of friends bring this paralyzed man, open up a roof hatch, and and drop this man right in front of Jesus. You can imagine the scene, the room is crowded, there's Pharisees who are are skeptical of Jesus, there's people who are there who are wanting to see Jesus do miraculous things, then all of a sudden the roof kind of opens up and a man is dropped down before Jesus. And the question is, what is Jesus going to do? So look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of his friends, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man now has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So Jesus calls himself something different here. He calls himself the Son of Man. Now if you were a student of the Old Testament, Different things would kind of pop in your mind when you hear the Son of Man, right? Uh, primarily two places in the Old Testament where the Son of Man is used very regularly. Uh, in the book of Eze- Ezekiel, uh, the Son of Man is looked at the one who's going about preaching and teaching. Ezekiel was often called the Son of Man. So if you read the, uh, the prophet uh, Ezekiel, you'll see this idea of the Son of Man, the Son of Man going out and, and preaching, a very great cost to himself, great suffering Ezekiel faced. But also you see this picture in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. So if you just go there with me, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says in his prophecy, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so we're back to Mark. Jesus is showing himself that he's the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is a man. So there's, there's a couple of reasons why Jesus uses the word son of man. One, he wants everyone to know that he is fully human. He is a man. Okay, he is fully God and fully human. Now, we, we talk about this idea of being the son of God, right? Resurrection from the dead, the authority of the one who's come. We get that. But Jesus also shows us that he is human. He is human because a human must die, must ransom his life to save Many. But not only is he human, he's also trying to show that he is this promised one from Daniel chapter 7. So let's just go to a few places. Go to uh, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 34. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Jesus just tells of his, resurrection, his death and his resurrection that will be coming. And verse 34, he says, And calling the crowd to him, With his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." That's an illusion. back to Daniel chapter 7, at the end of time when the trump will resound and, and Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, will descend with the glory of his Father and the holy angels. It says, you better know me then, right? If you are ashamed of me now, I will be ashamed of you then. Go again to Mark chapter um, 14. Mark chapter 14. This is before the council. Verse sixty, Mark fourteen, sixty. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this what is that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? Have you heard this blasphemy? What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, when people say that Jesus never told um, people that he was God, that's clearly not true in the Scriptures, right? They'll say, well, Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is either the Lord, a liar, or a lunatic, okay? He showed, right here he says, I am the Son of Man, and the ones who are teachers of the law, how did they interpret it? They interpreted that he was committing blasphemy. They tore their garments, saying he needs to die for what he's saying. So either Jesus Christ is the Lord, he's not the Lord and said he was, or he thinks he's the Lord and he's not. Right? So he's either the Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. A great argument by uh, C.S. Lewis. Josh McDowell kind of put together another uh, a book, an apologetic book on it, um, which is, Called more than a carpenter, and makes that same uh, same argument. We'll lastly go to, to um, Mark fifteen. Mark fifteen. Maybe it's in Mark thirteen. It's in there too, okay? So it's in there one more time. I can't remember exactly where it's at. But what I want you to see is that Jesus Christ is showing everybody that he is the divine Son of Man who has authority uh, to forgive sins. Now, there's several other things that Mark gives us that is different from the other Gospels. There's two things I kind of want to mention, one briefly, just because for the sake of time, and then one that I think is very helpful uh, for all of us who are still trying to live for Jesus in this day and age. One, uh, there is something that's unique to Mark called the Messianic secret. Time and time again, Mark, uh, Jesus in Mark, tells his disciples, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. We see that. Go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. This is kind of like the turning point in Mark's gospel, just like Matthew's. Mark 8:27. Jesus went and his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked the disciples, Why? Who do people say that I am? And they strictly told they-, they told him. John the Baptist, and the others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell, to tell no one about him. So Jesus admits that he's the disciples, that to the disciples that he is the Christ. And then he says, but don't tell anybody. It's very curious. Why wouldn't you not want anyone to tell people about who he was? Well, the reason is is because everyone during that day had a misunderstanding who the Messiah was called to be. They did not know that the Messiah was going to have to suffer and die first. They thought he was going to be a, a political leader coming in and overthrowing Rome. And what he needed to do, he needed to bring his disciples close in with him, and he needed to rework how they saw the Scriptures. He needed to reteach them what it means to be the Son of Man. Because the Son of Man is the one who is coming on the clouds of heaven. But the Son of Man also is the one who must ransom his life. The key verse in Mark's Gospel comes in Mark 10. So go to Mark 10, beginning in verse 43. Mark 10, beginning in verse 43. It says, But it it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be must be your servant. Whoever must whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that phrase for the Son of Man came appears three times in the gospels, twice in Luke um, and once here in Mark. The two other times it says for the Son of Man came uh, eating and drinking. Right? How Jesus did his ministry. Uh, It says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And how does the Son of Man seek and save the lost? Well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ gave his life for his enemies, for traitors, for betrayers, for liars, for failures. And I think this is why Mark is so important today. Because Mark continually shows how the disciples failed Jesus. And Jesus just hung right there with them. So we're going to go back through the gospel one more time and give you a word of encouragement and then we'll be we'll be done. Uh, go to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. Uh, we see in Mark chapter five, Jesus heals a man with a demon. Uh, and then he has that great story. He heals a woman caught with the issue of blood, and then he heals Jairus' daughter. Uh, chapter six, he goes to his hometown. And he is rejected. Uh, he goes out and he sends out the apostles. Uh, in chapter six, then you kind of ha- see this interlude in, in chapter six is the, the death of John the Baptist. End of verse chapter six twenty nine. It says his disciples heard of it. They came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. And then we see these three or four stories. In Mark 6 and 7, that show Jesus' power. We see the feeding of the, of the 5,000. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, it says, You give them something to eat. And they said, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. They found out they had five fish, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green and the grass. So they sat down in the groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked into the heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish from among them all, and they all had ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves with the five thousand men. Then that very next scene, immediately there is... Jesus walking on on the water. In verse 50, they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately spoke to them, Take heart at his eye, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So after the feeding of the 5,000, every one of the disciples had their own basket full of bread to remind them of the power and the sovereignty of this Son of Man who had authority, and then they see this Son of Man walking upon the water. And immediately they did not understand about the loaves that happened just before. Uh, the next chapter you see Jesus uh, again uh, is teaching. In chapter 8, he feeds the 4,000. And then in chapter 14, he, he kind of brings this all to a conclusion. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And 11 of Herod and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus aware of this said to them, "Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five five loaves for the 5000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up?" They said to him, "12." And seven for the 4000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up?" And they said to him, "7." And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The disciples did not yet understand. And I, I wonder how many times do we not yet understand? How many times do we have a hard time trusting the Lord with the same um, things in our lives? Is God going to come through and, and help me out financially? Is God going to take care of my health? Is God going to help me give victory over this sin? We do not understand the power of God. And I think in God's sovereign wisdom, he gave us Peter. He gave us Peter as the failure and restored disciple. Look at chapter, going on in this chapter. We we, we see how this, this great confession happened. And then look what happened in verse 31 of chapter 8. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you not, are not settled, setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of, of man. Go to chapter 11. We see uh, Jesus entering into uh, Jerusalem. His authority is being cha- challenged. Uh, chapter 12, he's, he's teaching another parable. It's interesting, in Mark's gospel there's only seven parables. There's 25 in Matthew. There's 20 in Luke. There's only seven parables in Mark's gospel. He just continued to move through the gospel very, very quickly. In chapter um, 14, let's go there, um, beginning in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, Uh, They were sacrificed, the the Passover lamb. His disciples said to him, where will we go to prepare uh, for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him wherever he enters, say to the 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 master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Jump to verse 17. And when it was evening, evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, stop for a second. Every time we read that verse, I think we always think Judas. I think you have to ask yourself, who betrayed Jesus more, Judas or Peter? Now, we know it's Judas, but I don't think that we can give Peter a, um, a pass. Peter denied Jesus. Peter was ashamed of Jesus. Look how the story goes. They began to be sorrowful. And he said to them, at one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is the one of the twelve of you who is dipping bread with me, with the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to the, Son of, to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man not have been born. And as they were eating, they took bread and they broke it, Lord's Supper. And go to verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scattered." And after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even if everyone abandons you, Jesus, I will be the one that will not. We see, pick up the story again after Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Verse 46. They laid their hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But yet the scripture, let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Even if they all fall away. I will not. How many times do we make great boasts before the Lord about our obedience? Great boasts before the Lord how we will not be like other men. And yet, here it says they all left him and fled. It says in verse 51, A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Most scholars think that's John Mark himself, that that's John Mark's signature of the book that I was that young man who was 12, who ran away in fear, naked from Jesus. Look at verse 66, and we'll wrap it up here. And As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warning himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out in the gateway and rooster crowed, and the servant girl saw him and began to, Again, to say to the bystander, this man is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystander again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. And then I think one of the most important verses and sentences in the entire book. And he broke down and wept. We can't understand who Jesus Christ is until we see who we are rightly before God. Peter had a hard time seeing himself. He was bold, and yet he failed the Lord miserably time and time again. And yet here, when he finally came to grips that he was one who betrayed Jesus, he was one who denied him, he broke down and wept. The weight of his own sin came upon him. And, beloved, that is when repentance happens. That is when salvation begins, when we see our sin before a holy and righteous God, and it causes us to weep and grieve. That's when we turn to him. That's when we turn to him because Jesus Christ was the son of man who did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the only one who, who lived the life that we were called to live. And even how this gospel ends, don't have time to, to kind of get into it. Um, it kind of ends with a, with silence. Chapter 8, they went out from fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. I think if you see and you follow the line of thinking again and again through Mark's gospel, you see the failure—the failure of the disciples. The disciples are going to fail their Lord, but the Lord will never fail His disciples. The of the Lord will never fail you. Some of you have come tonight feeling that you have been failing the Lord Jesus. You are in good company. The apostle Peter failed the Lord Jesus. Confess your sin. Weep over your sin. Because though your sin is great, your Savior is far greater. Far, far greater. For when those who saw Jesus being crucified, the Gentile who was far from God said, Surely this was the Son of God. Beloved, it's our job to share that message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would understand the struggle of discipleship. God, that we would um, understand who we are before you, that we are sinners in needing of a great Savior. Father, I pray that we would never get tired of hearing the story of Christ, the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We ask this all in his name. Amen.